Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, I'm Tom. I'm the congregational care pastor here and privileged to be able to open up God's word with you this morning. Uh, before I get started, I thought I would uh, show you some Bibles uh, that I found around my house. Uh, this one, uh, this one is the one that I got in third grade at the church where I grew up. They figured by third grade, you had figured out how to read, so let's get you a Bible. And so I got that one. In seventh grade, uh, we had some le uh, youth leaders, and they got us a living translation here, just the New Testament, and so we got that. And then another memorable one is this one, one that I bought for myself when I was in college at Iowa State University. So I'd like to take just a little vote here for a moment. Uh, which of these do you think is the best version? <laughs> this one? That one, that one, okay, a, lot of, a lot of abstaining going on right now. Um, I will give you uh, a cl another clue here. This one, I remember opening once, uh, probably third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere along the line, I was supposed to memorize Psalm 23 and I needed something to go from. And that's the only time I really remember opening this one. This one was in seventh grade. Let's looking for a few pages there that I marked. Oh, Matthew. Matthew six, nine, eight, seven. Yeah, no, that one, okay. This one. Read it cover to cover with the Apocrypha. And all the footnotes. Yes, I read every single footnote. See, I came to Christ in college. I had grown up knowing about Jesus as Savior and learned about him being Lord and got a hold of this one. In fact, I came to Christ, I was at Iowa State University, and uh, there was a class taught there that was called the Bible as Literature. And so I went for that, having a newfound faith there. And so not only were we encouraged to read the whole thing, I had a hunger, I had a thirst. There was so much in here that I had never read before, besides the Apocrypha. Um, I mean, going to Sunday school was fine, but you know, Sunday school tended to be limited to stories as kids, and uh, the church that I went through uh, did not view scripture as the inerrant word of God, and so it was read some scriptures and then tell interesting stories and thoughts and things like that. But I dug in to this one. Now, uh, is this the best version? This one? That one? Yeah, like you said, the best version, the one that you read. Oh my goodness, absolutely. So let's pray together as we open up God's word this morning. Father, do thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for what an incredible privilege it is to be in our country with so many different versions to read. Lord, it's easy to take that for granted. But Lord, as we open up your word today, would you also open up our eyes, open up our hearts, open up our minds Lord, we want all that you have for us here today, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, well, today I'll be picking up where Seth left off. He had the first half of chapter one, so I've got the second half. And so I do invite you to actually follow along with me. We'll be digging around in the scriptures this morning. So I invite you to turn to chapter one of Ephesians, beginning in verse 15. And I would like you to uh, try to place yourselves in the lives of the Ephesians who are hearing this for the first time. If you want to, you can try to put yourself in my place as I am in college and now reading this for the first time. So starting in verse 15, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, when I read that verse, and about every time I read that verse, the first place I go to is right there at the beginning. It says, for this reason. Okay, Paul, I want to know what the reason is. And so being the deductive kind of person I am, I go to what came right before this. And so I see in verse 13, where Paul talks about that we have been marked in God with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. Oh, that's a good reason, because of the Holy Spirit. So have I found it yet? Well, I don't know. I'll keep looking back and see what else there is. Verse 13, it says, you are also included in Christ. Oh, that's big. That's good. Included in Christ, the Holy Spirit. Yep, those could be reasons. Let's go a little further back. Verse 11, in him, in Jesus, we were chosen. Ooh, that's a good one. We're chosen. Maybe that's the reason that he's talking about. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Well, that's a good one because this whole Jesus thing has been rather hidden, not completely, but rather hidden in the past, and now it's becoming known now. Maybe that's the reason. Or maybe it's the verse before that, verse 7. Maybe it's because of redemption. Maybe it's because of forgiveness. Or we could go a verse before that. God's glorious grace, that's a good reason. Verse 5, adopted as sons, oh, that's an awesome one. Verse 4, we were chosen in Christ before the very creation of earth. Oh, that's an awesome plan there. That God had this plan before he even created us. This was the plan that was supposed to be. That's great. Go to verse 3, uh, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's a good reason. Well, which one of those reasons is it? Well, as Seth pointed out last week, that's one sentence. It's all of those things. For this reason, all of these reasons, we are chosen, we're sons, it was a plan before creation, God's grace, redemption, forgiveness, the mystery has been made known, we are chosen, we are included in Christ, we are marked with the Holy Spirit because of all of these things, and now I've heard that you've believed, and I see that being worked out in the loving of the other believers. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, and I have not stopped praying. And I love it when Paul tells us what he prays. I mean, so often he says, I thank you, and all of my remembrances of you, and he doesn't say anything. But here he gets specific. What is it that he is praying for? All of these great things have been accomplished in Christ, and now he's heard that they've got faith and they're loving the, the believers. What could Paul possibly be praying for these people? Well, let's take a look in verse 17. 
I keep asking that the God of our Father, or the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Oh, that's good. He wants them to know God. God has been something that's been rather kind of far away. In fact, that was even my experience as I grew up in my church. It just seemed like God was out there. I mean, there were times when I would see him, you know, like kind of hovering over the earth. Uh, other times, maybe even farther out in space as I learned about all those galaxies. When I got really mature, I saw God as sitting up, sometimes in the upper left-hand corner, sometimes in the right corner, just kind of watching us while we pray, we read, and we sing. But it's still that distance there. And Paul's saying to the Ephesians here, he's not distant anymore. He kind of was and kind of not, but now in Christ, it is real and it's personal. And I want you to know that. So if that's what he wants for the Ephesians, how is that going to happen? And Paul says here that I'm praying for you that you would get a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to get to know him personally, but it's going to take some revelation. It's going to take some wisdom. Revelation is a big thing in Paul's life. In fact, that's how he got started on his journey with Christ. Jesus revealed himself in a very real and powerful way on the road to Damascus. Hello, Paul, you are going to pay attention to me now. He showed up. It wasn't even just a faint little voice. He showed up. Paul knows what this revelation looks like. As we continue to read other letters from Paul, we see that revelation really does play a, quite a large role in his experience with God. He got this from revelation. The Lord showed me this. And then even he gets the super-duper revelation that he gets taken up to the third heaven. He gets to see like a glimpse of where it is that we are headed and what it's going to be like. He was not permitted to say a word, but he got that picture and that vision, that hope is a huge part of who he is and how did he get it? You know, was it because he just thought about it so much? Nope, God said, poof, I'm going to reveal this to you. So revelation is a part of it, but wisdom is also a part of it. Well, you know that Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, so he went up there, and instead of going against the Christians that were there, he began to proclaim the gospel that he was fighting against. Well, there ended up being such a ruckus raised there. It's like, okay, Paul, it's time for you to leave. We need to get you out of here so while you've still got your life. So then he ends up going down to Jerusalem. And so there, I mean, here's Paul. He went, went to try to get rid of Christianity, and now he's bringing it with him. What in the world? But he's, he's there, he's proclaiming it, and yes, he is not well received there either. And things get bad enough, it's like, okay, Paul, you just need to leave again. You know what, why don't you go home to Tarsus? And so he does. And Galatians tell, Galatians tell us that he hangs out there for three years. And what does he do during those three years? We hear nothing. But highly suspicious that he had a three-year cave time with the Lord. Okay, maybe a bit of a stretch, 
But definitely going back, it's like, okay, I've got my scrolls, I've got my parchments, God has been working in this way in my life. I'm gonna go back through the scriptures and see what's going on there. How do these, all of these things work together? How can I show my Jewish brothers and sisters that yes, this really is God's plan and it was his plan from the very beginning. And God gave him wisdom, wisdom, wisdom when he finally does hit the trail out there taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, he is ready to discuss and debate with his Jewish brothers about how, yes, God has done this. And so here's Paul, who has this great personal relationship with God, uh, with God, and he wants this so desperately for the Ephesians. He says, I am praying for you, and I'm praying, first of all, that you might experience the same kind of wisdom and revelations that I have experienced so that you can get to know this God who seems kind of far away, find out that he really is close closer than we ever imagined. There really is a real and personal relationship available to us through what Christ has done. You know, we look back there at that one huge long sentence, because of all the redemption, the forgiveness, the planning, and the predestination, all of that, because of all that, I want you to know God in a real and personal way. That's the first thing that he prays for. I pray that you would know him through his spirit, by wisdom and revelation. Let's take a look at the second thing then that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He says that I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul was praying, one, that they would get to know God, but two, that, he would, that they would understand the blessings that God has poured out to them. And there are a lot. But he names a few. So he starts by, first of all, saying, I pray that you would know the hope. What is it that we have in the future? What is it that can bring hope to a present situation that really doesn't seem all that hopeful? What can we do? Where do we find? What is, what is this hope? And he says, this is the hope that we have in Christ. We have an eternity, first of all, that is completely awesome, but there's also a present hope that can keep us going during this difficult, difficult time. You know, heaven's going to be great. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And the hope of that true home is what keeps me going. No more tears, no sorrow, nor no death, hope. One day my wife had the courage to ask me about some of the songs that are on my playlist on my phone. Uh, some of them are rather sad, depressing, and all of that, and finally she musters up the courage one day to say, should I be concerned about some of the songs that are on your playlist? <laughs> and I got to thinking, why is she asking that? And, but she went on, it's like, they're kind of downers. And it's like, oh, I guess they are. 
But there's the hope that's in those songs is what resonates in my soul. Uh, some of these songs have their roots in the um, spiritual songs that were written during the slavery times, written by people experiencing slavery. And some of those are the most powerful, hope-giving songs, but they're in a depressing situation. But you hear the hope that comes, how would you say, burning through, it stays there. Yes, the, the situation is horrible, and yet that confident hope that keeps them going and keeps them moving on, keeps them looking for things are going to get better. This world's not our home. And we're looking forward to that day. So she's much more assured now. You can keep listening to those. That's all right. Because the hope that is in those songs is what gives life in this otherwise dying and decaying world. And Paul says, that's what I want for you Ephesians. And that's what he would pray for us. I want you to know that hope that exists. It's real and it's powerful, even in the midst of the crazy, depressing, dying world. I mean, we're a part of that creation that is just moaning, waiting for the revelation of God's redeemed people. It's coming. We will hold on to that. We will hold fast during these difficult times. The second thing that Paul, or the second part of this request, uh, Paul is praying that they would know the riches, that they would know the riches. It says that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Honestly, commentators aren't sure what to do with that. What is being emphasized? What is modifying what? And it's like, well, if you look at it this way, it could be that. If you look at it from this way, it could be that. If you look at it that way, it could be that. So what do we do with that? I have no idea. But my suspicion is that it goes along with, because he's talking about their eyes being opened, and so they would see the riches of what God has done. Maybe even looking at God's people and say, wait a minute, God's people are a blessing. They're not a curse. They're different from you, yes, but they're actually a blessing. I have poured out my spiritual gifts upon all of them to build you up. They are a blessing. Would you look and see that they are actually a blessing and not a curse? Whatever exactly it is, he's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, that they would understand what those riches are. Third, Paul prays that they would know the power. This power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's a pretty big power. I say that we, that we, I think we underestimate how much power is available here. Yes, there are those who have taken it way too far, but I think we tend to take it not near far enough. And Paul says, I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. In fact, let's take a look at this. Here is his request. Remember, he first of all prayed that they would know God. And second of all, he's praying that their eyes would be open so that they would understand the hope and the riches and the power. But I'd like you to take a look at the part that's in yellow. Because up there in white, he says, I'm praying that your eyes would be open so that you would know the hope. I'm praying that you would know the riches and that you would know the power. That yellow represents how much of his prayer request is related to power. So it's almost like, ah, I want you to know the hope. 
I want you to know the riches. And I want you to know the power that is available to us in Christ. Let's read it as he kind of starts stacking things up here. It says, um, his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. One thing. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked. And not just in the present age, but the one to come. And he can't even go any taller, but he throws more on. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I think he's into the power here. Those are really good things, the hope and the riches, but God has so much for us. Look at all those things, the inheritance, the redemption, the forgiveness, the adoption, the seal, all of that. Because this is all true, I am praying that you would understand and experience the power that is available in our new life in Christ. That's a lot of power. Seth closed up his uh, message last time with a, a diagram. So would you bring that up? Over on the left, the blue there is kind of the earthly realms, and the red is the heavenly realms. So on the left there, the far left, that bluish part, that would be like just living our life in the earthly realms, with our earthly resources, trying to get by in this world. On the right there with the red, that crescent part over there, that would be like all of the heavenly stuff that exists, but it's not ours right now. I mean, if we had gotten saved and, they got di and then we died, then we would have experienced all that good stuff and be experiencing it now. That's not available to us. But there is this intersection of our earthly realm and our heavenly realm that is a whole new experience that Paul says, this is open to us now. There is the hope, there is the chosenness, there's the blamelessness, the sealed, the included, the adopted, the revelation, that every spiritual blessing, that is what is available to us now as we live this present life. We don't have to live as slaves to this world anymore. We can. You certainly can. In fact, Paul is describing the Ephesians here as, ever since I heard of your faith, okay, you got the truth, and I see it settling well in this group of people we're called the Ephesians. You've started faith. You've come to faith, but God has more for you. It looks like knowing God in a real and personal way. It looks like understanding what all God has given to us, that we don't have to live this way anymore. He says there's so much more available to us. And he says to the Ephesians, I'm praying for that. I want you to know more and more of what it is that God has done for us and what is available to us as his children in this present world. This world's not our home but we do have to live here. So I'd like to describe this reality as 
not living under the circumstances. We don't have to live right where we are and it's like, oh, that's just the way this world is and that's the way it goes and come Jesus soon. We can live under the circumstances. But I hesitate to say that we can live over the circumstances, above the circumstances, like they just don't even touch us. That's coming in the dark red. But right now, I would call it living through the circumstances. We're not under them. We don't have to follow the ways of this world. We don't have to keep acting the way that we did. There is something new. There is something powerful and fresh, and we can be experiencing that now. But will we? Will we be content to live that way? We can, but there's really more. There is a power. We don't have to live under the circumstances, but will we? Hard times are the most precious, unwelcome things. But that's when we begin to realize you know, where we are, that we grow when it is tough. When it's easy, who needs to change? If you're winning the lottery every day, why are you going to change what you're doing? But difficult times will come. They do come. And they're actually our friends. Because then we begin to experience, God did it. He saw me through. He provided. I didn't even ask for that. And he provided. I asked for it, and it showed up in the most amazing way. I've become far more patient. I've become far more respectful. God wants to do that. He wants to make changes in our lives. He wants us to reflect him well. I look at the end of this prayer, where Paul says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Some of you have heard me talk about the picture that I have in my office where it's a double waterfall. We start up here, there's a waterfall and you see it fall down into this pool, which overflows and fills this pool. And I think that's a really good picture of what it is that God is doing in Christ and through Christ and to us. And that you see God in his fullness spilling down into Jesus, who now has the fullness of God, who is now then overflowing into us as believers. This is God, it's God, it's God, it's God. It's like Paul is praying, I want you to have your eyes opened so that you can see how God wants to be working at, you know, through Jesus to you and making the change. In fact, that whole idea of opening the eyes reminds me of, again, part of Paul's conversion experience. He has this nice talk with Jesus, and then Jesus says, okay, you're blind. Take him into the city, wait three days, Ananias comes, lays hands and prays for him, and then it says something like scales fell from his eyes. 
It's like, interesting. Is that like a word picture of God just opening these blind eyes to the truth? And then that's what Paul is praying for us. Open my blind eyes so I can see these things, so I can understand these things. You know, this really gets really personal and really powerful when we move over to Ephesians chapter five. He's talking about all these changes you know, in chapter four that you need to be doing, how you need to interact with one another. Then we get over into chapter five and he says, wives, respect your husband. But he's such a, I know. Respect him anyway. Disrespect is my spiritual gift. <laughs> Not. God's got something better. Husbands, love your wives. I'm a great provider. I, I can fix anything that's wrong with her. Well, wouldn't you let me? <laughs> he says, I know you do all of that, and you're a provider and all of that, but would you love her? <sighs> really? You know, as Paul prays for the Ephesians, you know, he's praying for things that they're really struggling with. Respect, love. Then he goes on to the kids. Kids, obey your parents. You don't know my parents. Yeah, I do. And I want you to obey. I can't. Yes, you can. I don't want to. Okay, that's the truth. Thank you. He says, children, there is a better way. And you can do this. Husbands, oh, you are so good at exasperating your children. I might every now and then. Oh, no, it's more than that. I mean, that's how my dad treated me. I know. I don't have any good examples. I know. But you got Jesus. You've got God the Father pouring himself into Jesus who died on the cross for you. My kids don't deserve it. Neither do you. There's a whole new realm available for us. Employers, don't look at your workers as some kind of cogs in your machine that's going to make you rich and famous. Treat them with respect. Treat them with kindness. Treat them as if Jesus were working for you. Well, if they worked like Jesus, that'd be a whole lot easier. Don't I know it? But that was not the condition. You, you serve the ones that you're the boss over. Employees, yeah, your boss is tough, no doubt. But what if your boss were Jesus? How would you act differently? Well, then I would do this. Yeah, you can do that. No, I can't. Yes. Yes, you remember all that chosen hope and all of that? Yeah, you can. God has opened up so much more to us through Christ. God's fullness in Jesus passed on to us. There is a new life. Someday it will be perfect, but we can be better now. How do we get there? Just like Paul's praying. I pray that you would, your eye, that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you get to know him better and that the scales would fall off of your eyes and you would comprehend all that God has done for you. We can reflect God in this world. We see it going from God to Jesus. It then goes from Jesus to us. And people should see that and go, that's different. That's amazing. But Paul doesn't even finish up there. He says, you know, there's a spiritual battle going on. 
yeah, man, it is rough. It is rough. And it's like, would you quit fighting that battle with your earthly resources? We've got more right here in the middle that we can fight back with. And it's not even us, really, that's fighting. We're walking and trusting him. So where are you at? Off there on the edge, relying on your human resources. We're all there somewhere, and those are the tough times that help us to wake up and go, wait a minute. It's so hard because I'm trying to accomplish heavenly objectives with my earthly resources. Not working. But there are heavenly resources available. And the times when we begin to experience that in new and fresh and living ways, having the scales fall off of our eyes, is because it's a tough time. Welcome tough times. We're going to conclude the service this morning with two songs, and the first one is meant for reflection and going, okay, recognizing those tough seasons that we are in the midst of right now. Saying, God, would you work in those that I might know you better, understand better what it is that you've done, that I might reflect you better in this world? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have done more for us than we can even begin to think or imagine. Father, would you help those scales to fall off of our eyes? Lord, would you send your your spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better, that you might be more than just a God sitting off in the corner just wondering how things are going to finish up after you set them spinning. Lord, would you bring all the tough times that we need so that we can know you like Paul knew you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.